Well, hi, everybody. Nate here. I've got a great discussion for you today with Tim Euler of Awesome Framers. Now, Tim is a builder in the Seattle area. They build spec homes, custom homes. He's a part of a family construction business that has been around for decades that his father started. And their Instagram account, Awesome Framers, and YouTube channel feature Tim. He is showing and reviewing tools, showing and explaining processes, and overall just being a great ambassador to construction and framing in North America. Now, our discussion, we cover his background in the trades, how he learned. We talk about social media quite a bit, and we talk about materials and some of the choices and technology that is changing in the framing and home building uh, area. So if you're interested in these things, you'll be interested in this interview. Without any further ado, Tim Mueller of Awesome Framers. Thank you for taking the time out of your day, especially week of Christmas, to come and chat with us. And just maybe to start, I, I have an idea about your background, but why don't you tell me a little about your background and our listeners, how you got to where you are, uh, maybe a little bit about your career and such, and we'll then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. So for me, uh, my dad started building about six months. Well, he worked for a builder before I was born, but he started the company that I work for about six months after I was born. So from... My earliest memories, it's been all construction, residential construction. So from the time I was a little kid, drive around the job sites with him and work summers, you know, whatever, go out and clean up. So that's that's basically it for me. Um, high school, a little bit of um, community college after high school, but otherwise basically straight into the straight into the job site. It, it was your life. In other words, you're kind of just dropped right into it. Yeah. And I really did, you know, all through high school. I didn't, I knew I wasn't going to go to university, so I didn't bother taking a bunch of um, classes for that. I ended up my last two years, especially focused on drafting, which oh. I wish I would have stuck with. But it, in other words, it was all kind of more building focused. So wow. I just. So, wow. So even as when I was a kid, my dad was a builder and I, that made my instinct feel like I hated it and I didn't want any part of it. But you were, you were kind of were welcoming it, it sounds like. Oh, I loved of, it. Yeah, I loved it. Huh. Um being able to go out and even like show up and have lunch with the guys. Cause dad always had, when he started, the market was terrible in the late seventies. Yeah. I mean, interest rates were insane. It was the worst time to start a business, but yeah. he, he made it work because he had a lead carpenter and then he'd go out and frame and then he would do the books and run the business at night. And so oh. as a kid, if I got to go out and have lunch with the guys, he always oh. had in-house framers. They did the foundations and siding. I just thought yeah. it was the coolest thing. Yeah. And I, I do know that feeling being on a job, where there's things happening and then you kind of have to go to school or another sitting and you're like, I want to be over there. That's, this is way more interesting than where I have to spend most of my day. So I definitely remember that sort of feeling. I remember wow. my ninth grade oh, biology teacher, uh, the development that we were building in was just like five miles from my, my junior high school. And so I get picked up at like two o'clock and, and my teacher always let me go early. Because I'm like, hey, can I go early and go to work? And it was exactly that. It was I didn't want to get there and have missed all the cool stuff of the day. God, wow, that's really cool. So was your was your dad like kind of actively showing you the ropes even as a kid? Like, look at this is why this this is that, or did it just kind of come in through osmosis, or was he really teaching you? Probably more the osmosis. Yeah, um, definitely the teaching. He he told the guys, um, don't treat me like I'm the boss's son. Treat me like I'm any of the other guys. 
And so it, it was really up to them to teach. And I had a really good mentor, Dave. He, he was a lot of fun to work with. You know, we laughed all day long, played jokes and pranks, but <laughs> learned the process. And so it, it just really was fun. You know, there's a lot of John back and forth among the crews, you know, yeah. good, healthy competition. And it just, you just felt like part of the team. I, now that I'm, you know, a dad and a little older in my life, I think back about my dad when he was my age and it's kind of, I have a different perspective on it because I, at the time I felt like, oh, here's this old guy and yada, yada. And now I'm kind of like, oh, wow, dad was younger than me when X event happened. And I'm thinking about yourself. You mentioned your dad started the business when you were, you know, six month old and do you have kids? You, you got little mm-hmm. kids? Yep, just a dog. Okay. Just a dog. Well, same point, you know, you can kind of do the math even just in age, like, wow. So he was in my shoes at, when that was happening. And uh, has it given you any kind of different just perspective on your dad as you've gotten older in that regard? Yeah, it's it's pretty trippy to think about now because he's mostly retired and my brother's taken over on the business side. And oh. so we're, we're actually down here at the ocean on, on Washington coast um, with oh. them. They're in a different house. But I look at my nephew and he's nine. And I think, yeah. Man. So when I was doing some of this stuff at his age, then my dad would have been about my brother's age. But they yeah. seemed so old when I was that young. Yeah, that's it. I feel the same way. And I'm especially when I remember some big, my dad having like changing jobs or even big things he was building at the time. I was like, well, that's what adults do. And now I can do the math. I'm like, oh, so he was 27. And it was, and I'm, now I'm kind of like, oh my goodness. And he, I knew he had some kids, obviously. So totally different uh, perspective about the guy, which I think is what happens as you get older. Yeah. Um, so, you're in, uh, you're outside for, for the viewers, and I'm sure they have figured this out. But you're outside of Seattle. We're in the Northwest. We're in Southern Oregon. But the the climate is, uh, if it's rainy here, it's more rainy where you are. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about how that affects some of the work you do because rain is and water is obviously uh, not friendly to construction and working and materials and everything. Do you guys take a lot of sp- special extra precautions are you covering up lumber and such or you just kind of build and see and let it happen and assume the materials are good for it yeah uh, well um a little bit of both for us on the framing side we don't bother keeping the framing lumber covered because like for example right now we've got lumber delivered for the main floor and i'm sure it's raining raining back home right now but it's also going to rain as soon as those walls are up so what (laughs) we found is just People really freak out about it, but the thing is, is if you just dry it all out properly. So once yeah. we're covered and the trades are done, then we bring in the dehumidifiers, and if we need some dry heat, then we'll bring that in, and we watch it with the moisture meter and that kind of thing, and we don't have any issues. What's a moisture meter, and how does that work? Is that something that you're like using on the job and actively monitoring stuff with? Yeah, once it's up, and so basically, and don't quote me, I think we we're trying to get lumber down to about let's say twelve percent before we cover it with drywall insulation oh, wow so it's awesome. just it's you know it's pretty cheap buy them on amazon look two little prongs you bury them in the wood and, and read the moisture and it will tell you if you're dry enough it will either give you the percentage or the light will light up that tells you you're way over and oh, so you just watch it that way yeah so like we did a house last january that i think probably got one of the wettest that i can remember working in i mean we grinded it out and it was miserable mm-hmm. but watching the moisture level come down just naturally because of the COVID shutdown, we were kind of delayed anyway. And so I'd go over there and take moisture meters because it was just a couple miles from my house. And just, just to watch 
it naturally, you leave the windows open and just let the air move through. And it will naturally dry out if you have the time. If you don't have the time, then you just bring in dry heat and dehumidify it. Interesting. That's one of those tools and processes that people in the Southwest, for example, it would never occur to them that you got to pay attention to that because yeah. it never gets even wet to probably register on the device. But for you, yeah, that's, and there's, that's just part of your process. Yeah, yeah. And, and the inspectors will check now. They used to not when I was younger. I'd say for maybe like the last 10 or 15 years, they'll double check when they come in for framing inspection, because the way that they've kind of done it, especially with COVID is that they used to do an inspection for each thing on its own, you know, plumbing had its own HVAC had its own. Now they come in and do them all at once. And so they'll check for spot check for moisture. And you can kind of feel in the house too. You get kind of a, a sixth sense for it where you just know it's a little too wet. Oh, that's interesting. So do you, do you pay attention to the weather at all in terms of like, should we frame this before this big, rainy series of weather events comes or do you just do your work and let the weather come what may and just if it takes longer to dry it out let it dry out I like for example i know in alaska or other yeah. really cold places there's a building season and at least I, I think that's the case do you have a building season in outside of seattle or you just build all year no we just build all year and we've always talked about that like why don't we just make a big push yeah, we're technically drought i think like june through october so it stays real dry and we always think, yeah. well, let's push it and then let's do our own finish work inside. But, you know, yeah. dad's been in business for 40 years. We never did it. So you just, it's like everybody else here, you know, where we're at down here on the coast right now, it's just blowing sideways and it's rainy and the guys are still working out there. Let's stick on the rain kind of thing and talk about materials a little bit, because I know some materials like OSB and plywood and zip and all these things react differently. So how do you, are are you fully into the zip system the way other framers are, or how, how do you stack up these materials against each other? We are absolutely all in on zip system. We started using it back in fall of 2009, right during the crash, we had a spec mm -hmm. going and now we've partnered with them. So we do some sponsored content on Instagram and oh. I absolutely love, so I, I say that just so people know, you know, I don't want to hide yeah. that from people. We used it for what, like eight, nine years before we started. And this was really the first year of the partnership. I love it from a framer standpoint because it's so simple that if I have to teach somebody like detailing windows, I can teach them in 10 minutes and we're done and they'll be able to, to mimic it. If I'm using house wrap, it takes a lot longer and you kind of keep your eye on and make sure they get the order right. Yeah. The uh, OSB, uh, I feel like OSB gets a real bad rep. We've used it in our market for probably close to 30 years with no issues. Yeah. Whereas plywood doesn't hold up quite as well, we found. Like we used to use that on our overhangs on, on, uh, on the roof. And I, we come in the next day and some of it had already delaminated because it's not the same plywood as maybe the 1970s. You know, it's like three ply and it's just, it just doesn't hold up as well. So the OSB thing never bothered us. And then switching over to zip, it's a higher grade OSB. I think a lot of people don't understand that, that the glues and resins in it, you know, how it's made, it's a different process than just the commodity stuff that you might buy at a big box store. And when you're cutting it, you can tell it wears out the saw blades quicker. Uh, if I get done cutting sheeting for a roof and I'm setting the depth on the saw, all of the paint, all of the coating on that blade will be worn off and it won't do that uh, with regular OSB. So, and in terms of the zip, the, the only complaint that I've imagined is that it's that much more expensive, but one of our local builders here I was talking to explain to me 
casually, he's like, look, it's actually for us less expensive because it's you're doing everything in one step as opposed to stretching out the wrapping into another day and yada, yada and getting more of it. And uh, is that what you found as well? Yeah, what we found right off the bat is we weren't duplicating or repeating the same steps. So every trip you make around the building costs you time. And so since here in the Northwest, we're in a seismic zone, we've been fully sheathing our walls for probably since the early to mid nineties. So if we're already taking that step, but now we can have the coating on the panels, the, um, the taping, we're able to tape the seams before we lift the walls. Our inspectors are really good to us. Like we explain to them, if it's a new inspector, they're like, Hey, how am I supposed to see the seams? And we always tell them, tell us where we'll cut the tape and pull it. But what the other inspectors tell us is that you can feel the nails if they're overdriven. You can count the spacing. You can feel all of that right through the tape. So we're able to get like 90% of the weathering done when the walls go up. And then nobody's on a ladder except for outside and inside corners. And maybe like the odd panel around garage openings, we leave the tape off for sheer inspection. So it's so simple. It's so simple and so fast. The tape is tenacious. We've got pieces stuck on like the forklift that have been there for years and it doesn't peel off. <laughs> so yeah, we're, like we're repairing, your gas- repairing your gasket and radiator hoses with it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. We had the forklift seat. Uh, one of the guys, his cat's paw kept ripping the seat. And so we had it all zip taped up there for quite a while. <laughs> That's awesome. So ha- how do you keep up on building materials? And here's what I'm asking. A lot of times it seems like a builder might have you something, it works. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that makes a ton of sense, perfect sense. And yet there's also like zip 10 years ago, new things coming out all the time that a lot of times you, you can't risk the client's project on testing something new. So how do you go about using or deciding, you know, what new technology or material to use and how does that work for you guys? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that started with dad. He always liked to go to the trade shows and always subscribe to like Builder Magazine, Journal of Light Construction, Fine Home Building. So growing up, we always had the magazines in the house. Mm. And so you'd just read about them. He would see them at trade shows. Um, We switched to OSB way back when. And sometimes I try try to tell the guys what it was like to sheet a floor with plywood and how multiple people might have to stand on it because it would be all curly. And it's just a hassle. So I think he set the tone. And then then my brother and I, we've just kept up with the trade magazines. Um, There's a lot of great information like you guys on YouTube. Um, Instagram, ironically, has turned out to be a source of good information. Just constantly having that idea that you're aware that there might be better ways to do things or better products to use. But at the same time, you have to be a little skeptical because there's been a lot of failures in products. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. Even like on a national scale, like something that rolls out in every building supply store that all of a sudden you don't see anymore. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's another good way, too. I should mention these building supply stores, the good ones are they're seeing a lot of product come in and out, too. And so my dad really relies on his building supply store here. And, you know, they they have a lot of incentive to carry the best products Mm -hmm. and keep their contractors up to date. And so I know for him, that's been a really valuable way to stay in tune with all of that. But, you know, and, and you mentioned, maybe there was like a period of time in like the, I don't know, eighties or nineties when there was, when the internet was not this fully developed. Now you can, this question maybe isn't as relevant now. Cause if you're uncertain about something with just a few clicks, there's probably a lot of real quality, you know, details on the product. So it's, it's not probably that hard to get great information, even. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's true. And like uh, the owner of the lumber yard that we used for years and years, I remember as a kid him coming up to the job site. And so he'd bring out like some of the new, like when this was when some engineered lumber like LVL or PSL was new. Yeah. And dad would have these chunks on his desk. And I remember just staring at him thinking it was so, I just thought it was so cool that they could strand all of this wood together and glue it. And then you get a beam that's dimensionally stable and stronger. And so I remember Jeff visiting and he would tell us like, what's, what's kind of ironic to me recently, I did a post on Instagram about the importance of gapping your subfloor so that it can expand when it gets wet. And it was shocking to me how many people had never heard that, even though it's printed on the panel now. But I remember as like, uh, I think I was in junior high and I remember the lumber yard, the owner coming out and saying, make sure 16 penny nail, you know, put a sinker between the seams. And so that's something I've known since I was a kid because he took the initiative, I think, that's still Mm -hmm. new to a lot of people today. Oh, that's cool. Um, So tell me a little more about, so you, your dad, you said kind of ran like the more the business side and he had a lead framer. And if I remember correctly, you said that your, your brother kind of handles that side of it now and you're more on the framing side. Is mm-hmm. that how it works? Yeah. So, we both. Yeah, go ahead. So who, who was, it, then it may not have been your dad teaching you the nuts and bolts and framing. It was maybe this lead framer or somebody else. Can you talk about some of the mentors you had and, and who and how it was you kind of really learned the ropes and, and what in particular lessons some of these fellows passed on and those types of things? Yeah. Uh, Dave was the guy's name just from the time I was a little kid, you know, it'd be my job to come out and sweep up the job after, after school, you know, cause the guys would quit about four and I'd get off school and get out there about three. And then a little bit earlier as I got older, but it was basically his job to just teach me because, because it was, I really wanted to just be on the job site. Dad loves building. But he also knew at some point, you know, things would kind of have to pass to the next generation. So it was Dave's job to teach me. And he must have, or I must have really worn him out. Poor guy. <laughs> you know, just the patience it required. So he taught me how to use a nail gun, how to use a skill saw, you know, made sure it was safe. And then just made made the job fun. I was learning to read blueprints in school anyway, because we were learning to draw them. But he would explain how, like, we had one plan that for some reason always had the hallways drawn at like three foot one inch. But we knew that a two six door with the framing needed to be three foot two. So it was little things like that, that that we always just made the adjustments as the framers or closets. He he remembered one closet that the hangers didn't quite fit. And so he always widened every closet like an inch. And so it was little things like that, that he just he had the experience and he taught. And then after that, it's just, I think, a lot of repetition. You just got to yeah, keep just- doing the same thing over and over again. Um, so did he work for the business for a long time? I take yeah. it if he... How how does that work? It's so hard to find good quality help and employees and all that, and then it's hard to keep them. So, what what do you think it is that your dad did or that you guys were doing that made it work out with this pro for all these years? Yeah, he um, dad just because uh, we've had a lot of people that we'll see over the years that we're always finding people that have worked for Pioneer Builders, and they'll always say how it was the best job they ever had, and, and he was the best boss they ever had. And I think it was because he didn't micromanage um, and he, he paid people what they were worth. So people were happy. Same thing with subs. You know, he, he just never, never beat them up so that they didn't really want to come on the job site. Mm-hmm. You know, we always try to work around their schedules and make things as easy for them as we can. And I, honestly, it's because I've been on a few podcasts with that question and I feel like it always sounds like it's it's new, but it's not. But if you just treat other people the way that you want to be treated, or at least do your best, 
<laughs> things yeah. generally tend to work out pretty good. Yeah. There's like a, there's just like an approach that some people have maybe inadvertently where there, it's like a, uh, a struggle or a battle over something as opposed to a teamwork. It sounds so generic, but I know what you're talking about. And it's kind of like a, it's a very simple kind of win-win. Like I want what's best for you. You want what's best for me. Let's remember that as opposed to I'm going to get this job done for as little as possible so that I can make this money or do whatever. It's, you know, it's almost too cliche, but that really probably is the most important part. It would bother me sometimes when I was younger that we couldn't as the framers, because we're in-house framers, that sometimes we couldn't get our job done because we were accommodating the plumbers or the electricians. And as I've gotten older, I've realized it wasn't really about me getting my job done. It was about the general contractor getting his job done. And framing is only one aspect, plumbing and HVAC are another. And so then you start to think a little bit bigger picture. Like it's not really about my convenience because you know how it is. Sometimes you get into a rhythm and it's like, oh, I got to now I have to go over and do that for the, but it, it works out. And so it's kind of modifying your, your mentality, just being a whole lot less uh, focused on self. Yeah. I've noticed in your content and you've already mentioned it, that the jobs when you were a kid were kind of fun and people were doing jokes and lighthearted and it really comes across in your videos and your posts that that's how your job sites feel. And I know some part, some amount of that is just your personality and you're uh, a laid back and fun loving guy. But can you talk about that a little bit? Cause there's definitely some job sites and I've been on several where it is not that fun. It's a little yeah. more uh, stressful and a lot, most of, lots of times that makes sense. But can you just talk about that? Cause your job sites feel like a, I don't know, like you're hanging out with a bunch of buddies. And sometimes, especially when I first started paying attention, I'm like, what's going on here? Is this like, are they helping their brother-in-law like build his, you know, man cave or what, what is this? <laughs> Obviously it's a business, but it just seems like you've really hung on to that, uh, that part of what you must been around when you're younger. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And as a family, we really like to laugh. So I remember growing up and, you know, watching like family ties or cheers or whatever Seinfeld later, there, there really is nothing better to me than laughing. And my, um, Dave, the same guy that taught me to frame, Things, things get stressful, right? You know, concrete trucks don't show up on time. You know, the weather was supposed to be good and it's not. And you're trying to pour concrete or whatever the case might be. Is he always felt like if he was less miserable than the other guy, it was a win. And so it was just trying to have a little bit better attitude. Yeah. You know, some things are just unchangeable. But a big part of it was just trying to find whatever we're doing or music we're listening to. Try to find something about it that's fun or funny. Mm-hmm. And it just, I don't know, it's just, it's now it's so um, second nature, but the subs are the same way. Um, we can tease dad. Like it, when he would show up, we would just start clapping and it just to make him uncomfortable. <laughs> it would drive him nuts. <laughs> and it was just, it was just little things. And it, I don't know. So I don't, I don't know how to answer that question. It's just, yeah. it's a, it's a mindset, but if you take yourself too seriously, you just end up stressed all the time. There's, yeah. there's a time and a place for, for being serious. Like we were cutting down trees a couple of weeks ago for the next lot that we're going to clear. And we had a blast, but that was a time to go slow down everybody. We've got chainsaws, trees, and equipment. This is way more dangerous than what we're used to. Everything's yeah. bigger and heavier. And it was like, we still want to have fun. but So we would talk about safety quite a bit more on those sites just yeah. because it was, it was new. We still want to have fun, but there's yeah. a lot that can happen. There's some jobs where it's stressful or high pressure, but there's 
kind of nothing you can do about it anyways. You know, like let's say like a deadline that's for whatever reason, but you can only go so fast anyways. And so I think that's an important part of that is if you can't control it, if it's like the weather, for example, if you can't control it and there's nothing you can do about it, then try not to take too much energy worrying about it. And, and anyways, it seems like you guys have done a good job figuring that out. It's um, taken some practice. That's for sure. Cause like you said, <laughs> I, I would start dreading the winters, you know, in June, it's like, we finally got out of one and summer always goes by so fast, but then yeah. you just, we've just learned, just do your best. You know, sometimes music helps. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't. Sometimes it's just grinding it out, but trying to have fun really does. It's not the uh, drudgery that it, that it has been yeah. in the past. Um, let's talk about building houses in particular for a minute. And do you guys do, I don't know how many of your jobs are kind of custom homes for a client who's paying versus just spec or for some other GC or such, but unlike some other trades, for example, plumbing and electric, a homeowner can kind of dabble in it. You know, you can repair your sink, you can add a new outlet. And after doing that enough, you kind of get a feel for it to some extent. But for some frame, for, for a lot of homeowners and DIY types, framing is something you don't, you don't really dabble in all that much. And it can be challenging to have an idea what the cost and the scope of something like that is. So my question is when someone comes to you guys wanting to build a house, they have no idea what the cost is. How do you kind of walk them through and, and what are some of the big uh, guideposts you give people to how to think about the cost? You know, like if they're trying to choose between two house plans and they may not be able to understand why this one would cost more to frame versus another one. Um, can you talk, can you talk through some of the, you know, pointers you give people on that? Yeah, a little bit. Um, cause Brian and dad, my brother and, and dad take really take that on since dad framed while the market was slow. He, he wasn't a framer, but he had done enough framing that he can speak to that. And my brother's framed with us too, like when the market's been slow. So he knows enough about that, that he can explain to people. To be honest, we try to avoid building for other people as much as we can. It is way more time consuming and stressful than just building spec, which sounds, I know, really counterintuitive, but dad started as a spec builder. So we, we built customs through the downturn and here and there. But since the market's been so hot, we've been able to just build them till they're done, put them on the market. So trying to, to coach the um, employee or the, um, the prospective homeowners, it's different now because of the internet. People follow us on Instagram. Now they're seeing us on YouTube a little bit more. Um, I write for Journal of Light Construction and this year, Fine Home Building. And so they might see some of that. Um, some of the really good customers, they'll make phone calls to the bank or the lumber yard to find out if you pay your bills. Mm -hmm. And so a good reputation along that line goes a long way. Mm -hmm. But it is just difficult to explain to people how complicated it is to build now. We've got our seismic requirements. Um, Washington State's energy code is one of the stricter in the nation. It takes a lot to get to it. And so on the building science side, my brother's really gotten well-versed in that. Um, it's just, it's hard to explain to people why the guy down the street is so much cheaper. Mm -hmm. But usually if they walk into our house when it's done and they walk into their house when it's done, they can feel the difference. Yeah. So that, that question, maybe we could answer better as soon as the market starts to dive a little bit and we have to kind of go back to doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just good advice for some framer guy who might want to elevate their business. And you're, you're saying the spec side of the, of the business is just better for 
for you. It's and I it's can a lot it's, less stress. It's crystal clear. It's like that person who has expectations and skin the game who might not know very much about it is doesn't exist. You're cutting out like this huge part of of what can be a lot of headaches and just deleting it. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And like every time, because I'll I'll get a little bit more nervous and, and I'll tell them like, you know, because people are phone calls. We get the calls and the emails all the time. It's like, I think we should take one of those because what if what if the pandemic happens? We didn't see that one coming, but we just keep holding tight because the market has been so hot here in the Northwest. Yeah. But as soon as it gets to that point, we'll take them. And, and then it's just a matter of kind of vetting the client a little bit. And, yeah. you know, it, it's try to be as straightforward and upfront and transparent as you can be. And then, then if you're a good fit, there's certain people that when you meet them, you can just tell this isn't going to be a good fit. And it, and that's a pretty tight relationship for the duration of that project, right? You're going to spend a lot of time with the person. So when you yeah. go through the dating process with them, you have to be eyes open. It really is like a, like a partnership. You're like jumping in the same boat with this person on this adventure. And, uh, man, who knows what you're going to run into, right? So you got to make sure you, it's a good fit. That makes yeah. perfect sense. Um, so about your social media a little, uh, let's talk about that. First of all, your Instagram account and your YouTube channel is, is great. It's pretty massive. Honestly, you got all these people on there. Can you talk about how you kind of started posting on there and, and maybe what your thought process was at the beginning versus what it is now? And if you think other builders should take, it takes time and, and mm-hmm. you can talk about that, but whether you think it's worth it for builders to do that and those types of things. I think it is. Um, when I started um, my awesome framers on Instagram account, it was literally just my coworker and I, it was just two of us at the time. The market was just starting to come back like in 2013. Yeah. And it was just the two of us. And, and it was like, Hey, we have some friends that will find some of the things we do funny and, and they'll, they'll get the context because they know us. And so we started the account and it, was, and it really was just a joke, but my editor at tools of the trade back in like maybe 2015 or 2016, maybe 2017. He was like, I think you should take this more seriously because it looks like people really spend the time on it. And it was like, okay. And and I still didn't really at first, but it was just kind of posting consistently. And it just turned out that there was a lot of things that we did that we had just kind of learned through trial and error that other people appreciated. And so the intermix of kind of the humor and the stupid things that we would do, the music that we listened to and things like that, it just kind of took off. And then, um, then it just became for me, it was like just thinking, okay, this part of the project's coming up. You know, here's a couple of things I'd like to show because, you know, we found that this speeds it up or, or whatever the case might be. Yeah. Um, and Instagram's great because they're pretty short clips. Um, YouTube, yeah. I've only been doing since last January and it's much slower to take off, but, but Instagram is it's so easy. I talked to one of our local suppliers and he commented on, how he's constantly out on field calls because people will call them and say, Hey, there's something wrong with your sub floor. And they'll come out and see that the framers didn't gap them. And so he's like, if I have a video on a phone that I can show guys in English or Spanish and it only takes 30 seconds, they find so much value in that. So we're starting to see that the materials companies are getting on board too. Yeah, that's great. And Instagram, especially because everything about it is oriented for your phone. So on a job site, you can, you're not like trying to turn your phone and like scrub over to the part where mm-hmm. it matters. You're just like, no, look at boom. And they're like that, that really makes a ton of sense to me. Why that would be, why that would work really well. on. Yeah. That. Yeah. So I think a big part of the following on Instagram, it, it's, it's a little bit like when, when I first, um, 
I loved what I learned on the job site, but I always knew that there was a lot of history. I'd read some of these old books like Larry Hahn, and we saw the videos in school. And mm -hmm. so you knew that California especially had really a ton of great ideas. And then I would see how some New England guys would build like in fine home building and they just, it's beautiful homes. Yeah. And so when I landed on the internet on both on the forums for fine home building and JLC, you found other people of like mind who were willing to share and, and talk about their trade. And Instagram yeah. is like the modern version of that plus video. So it's, it's just yeah. a great way to learn. The benefits of the company at first, everybody just thought we were wasting our time. But and honestly, we probably were at the time because we just didn't understand how, how it could be used as a tool. But even like my brother now, he'll put this stuff on YouTube and he has no followers. But when the real estate agent has a prospective buyer and they send them our social channels, then when they meet Brian and he does the walkthrough with the house, they already feel like they've gotten to know him, even though they've never met him. Mm. So, And I've found that too when you meet people mm. it, that I follow on Instagram. All the awkwardness of the first time meeting is gone. Wow. And it becomes a really cool experience. But then on the business side, to, to have um, potential subs or customers already feel like they've gone through the introduction, it, it really compresses and gets rid of a lot of that. And now you can just communicate. So um, Matt Reisinger, his, well, that's one of the things he said he noticed is that it took him a long time to build his following on YouTube. I mean, like 10 years. But he said yeah. the benefits of it, he could see as a builder far before that. I mean, hardly anybody would see some of those old videos. but customers felt like they knew him. That's a, that's such an interesting point. Like let's say a video has 20 views and you feel like it's like this big failure. Nobody saw it. But if half of those people are people who are either hiring you or going to like see you later that week, then holy smokes, that was actually a, a huge success. Yeah. And, and it could have like completely changed an outcome. But if one of those people yeah, just like you said, like a pre-introduction, like like a yeah. like, like a CV, like a resume, kind of like okay, I'm going to call him. This guy knows a thing or two, so I get it. Yeah, yeah and I think there's something too to personality, because like when I watched your guys's channel early on, I instantly fell in love with your dad. I was like, I like his approach. I like I like the fact that he's got glasses on and he's explaining this stuff. He's not that like that guy that just killed his body when he was young, trying to go a thousand miles yeah. an hour. But there was yeah. intelligence behind it. And I think people really respond to that. And the social media, like I'll see people at the lumber yard and they'll they'll recognize me, which is really weird. But there's no um they feel comfortable enough that we can just chat. And and so it's to me it's a win-win for everybody, is that that customer kind of gets to know something about the person that they're gonna do business with long before they've ever actually met that person. And then the whole rest of the process goes goes a little bit easier. Yeah, you're right. It, it's it doesn't. I've I've experienced this well a couple times where I met somebody who watches our videos, who knows my dad really well, or just the whole situation, and I I don't know maybe anything about them. But the fact that they are they're I don't know their approach. It it's almost like I do. Like you said, like the ice is broken just because. In other words, you don't have to both know everything about each other in order for there to be value. Just that that breaking of the ice or whatever is is you're like off and running instantly. So I get that. And I, it never occurred to me. So would you, for tradesmen listening or subs or something, it takes time to put these, this content out and, and <clears throat> it's certainly an investment, but I'm, I'm take it. You're, you're, you're a, you think it's worth the effort and you would recommend for other tradesmen and business owners to take, take the effort to do it. I think so. Um, 
you know, maybe you don't need to do that as much as like an electrician or a plumber, because as a homeowner, when you need either trade, sometimes you're in an emergency situation and you're not going to have seen their Instagram videos or stories. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, to me, there's, there's a lot you can do with it. That's not time consuming. You don't have to take the approach that you're going to explain every single piece of it. Um, to me, it's, um, what, there's one, one, um, account on Instagram. I love Anne of all trades. And Anne's always talking about how Instagram is a free platform and you get your personality out there. You get your background out there. You get what you're doing. Why not take advantage of it? Mm -hmm. It's free. So it's just your time at that point. And there's just a lot of things that if you keep things short, you know, it's definitely worth doing the research on to find out, you know, not everybody can just get on Instagram and all of a sudden have this big following that takes a long time and it's hard to do now. But just to have the portfolio that you could eventually tell a client, you know, you can, you can, you can, here's my website, here's like background information yeah. on us. But the kind of the day to day action is on my Instagram page. You know, you can go find yeah. it there, see what kind of the things that we're doing. And, and then did that's really have, where people get to know you. Did you have any, uh, you've practiced over time, but it's not easy to put yourself out there on a camera, even if it's just Instagram and like selfie mode. I, I can't do it. I really struggle. This podcast is a place for me just to practice because practice helps. But when I watch guys like even you, whose Instagram is massive, but your YouTube videos are, it kind of has the same feeling of like, well, this guy's, of course, he's a pro. He does this a lot. It's no big deal. I'm wondering if you have practice or training or how you got over that instinct to kind of be like, uh, I'm not, it doesn't sound good. My voice sounds weird. Some of the things that people like myself tell themselves that causes them to never click upload, you know? Yeah, no, I, uh, so, uh, we're a very religious family. Uh, we're Jehovah's witnesses. So because we go door to door, we've always had training basically weekly. How do you talk to the public? So oh, that practice. helped, you know, starting as a young kid, but, but then when we first got on Instagram, we had a very strict one take policy because we didn't want this to take time. Oh. And so it was full of gaffes and mistakes and we just posted it anyway. And I think that people responded to it. And then you just got, got used to it. It's still really awkward. But if I have like the GoPro in front of me and, you know, I need to, to shoot some stuff when I get back because we're, we're working on a thing for um, International Builder Show. And I know that my wife's going to have to come out on site. That's when, for some reason, I get a little bit more nervous is when there's somebody just on the side watching. Whereas if it's just a camera, because there's been times where I'm talking to the camera, I'll, I'll get a request, you know, um, can you shoot this 15 second clip? for you know lp smart side or whatever and i'm like yeah i can swing by that job on the way home because they they want something like maybe they can show their sales reps so why right. do these guys like that product and it's not going to go anywhere it's just internal and so you know i'll clip it to the van door and i'll talk to the camera and there'll be people walking their dogs and you just have to pretend like no <laughs> one else exists or you just have to embrace the awkward and know yeah. that you might have to reshoot it because they say something and it's like yeah i know I'm one of those TikTok people. <laughs> yeah. Just laugh at it. Yeah. It's super awkward. It's true. It's really awkward, but it does it's get better. Easier. It's like you've, it's gotten easier for you over time. It, it seems natural. So I, it, I'm taking it. It's your first couple were rougher and it's gotten better. Yeah. Yeah. I think the stories part helped because you just get used to pulling out your phone. And, and I've been with other uh, influencers out to dinner, these people with huge, huge followings. And yeah. they're just unabashed. They just pull out their phone. They're like, hey, I'm out to dinner with so-and-so, you know, <laughs> and they, they just put their phone down and go back to conversation. And so it kind of just yeah. becomes a mindset. 
No, that's cool. Um, hey, talk about writing a little bit. My dad's this way too, where he, you know, he's he reads a lot and all these things that are, don't you don't think of when you think of a builder. And writing is the same way. And I know you do write for JLC and others. And how did that come about? And talk talk a little bit about what that um, endeavor is is like for you. Oh, pure serendipity. I started reading JLC. Dad subscribed, so probably in the nineties. And then um, I think it was like 2001 ish is they started to put on their magazine that they had a website, jlconline.com. And at first it was really nothing. You know, we still didn't have broadband back then. So everything was, was really slow dial up and it was just more like about the magazine, but they had an online forum and it was really um, minimal at the time, but they had a framing forum and it was like, I didn't even know what a forum was. But it was like, oh, you click on, oh, somebody had a question. Somebody answers the question. There's a discussion in some cases. And so somebody had a question. We had used LP siding for years. And then when they had the interseal issue in the 90s, we all switched over to fiber cement siding. And it was new at the time. But we had, through trial and error, kind of figured out what worked. Back then, nobody had shears. We were cutting things with diamond blades. Nobody was using masks. I mean, we hated it. But we were (laughs) starting to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And then um, somebody had a question on installing it. And, I'll, and I just commented, this is what we found worked for us. And, and there just happened to be an editor, Dave Frain, who um, edited for JLC for a long time. And I get this email, you know, through my profile. And, I, you know, at the time, none of us even thought that you had things like spam or he had to worry about identity theft. So I just took him at his word and sent him my um, phone number. And then we talked and he lived down in San Francisco. So he decided to fly up and just shadow the job site for a couple of days. And whatever he saw, he was like, okay, we can work on the fiber cement article, but obviously you guys are doing framing so we can work on tool reviews and then we can start working on framing articles. And mm. he was a great editor. I had taken, when I was at the community college, I had to take English 101 and 102. And I'm not a creative writer. I could never write a novel, but I remember certain essays um, I would essentially just write what we had done on the job site. And I remember my teacher saying, she goes, man, you're good at writing when it comes to just explaining something, you know, it's like, I know I'm not a creative writer. So it just, it seemed like it was kind of innately there. And then Dave was just really good. And and I told him up, up front, I'm not a writer. So you tell me what makes your job editing easier. And, and he was, he was, he took that. He gave me a lot of really good constructive feedback. Wow. So that, that part of it, and then he told me at the same time, he was, he was a, a photographer, and he said, we get a lot of submissions to the magazine, but we have no illustrations to go with it or no pictures. So he said, I really think you should, you should um, at least get a basic understanding of photography. And wow. so back then, it was like the Canon Digital Rebel was the first digital SLR. And so yeah. I bought it, and then they killed two birds with one stone. I could take pictures on the job all the time. I always had my camera just hanging there. And if we were doing something, I could pull it out and take a picture and then go back to work. I didn't know how to edit photos. Then later, I really got into photography. And now that's that's a real hobby of mine. So I feel like wow. I owe all of that to Dave. I don't think I would have ever gotten into it otherwise. Yeah, it's so funny how these things are all so connected. Because same with your Instagram feed. Obviously, that's photography, you know, just because it's with a cell phone. But lining up a shot and framing it the right way, the, the, the basics of photography apply completely. Mm-hmm. And so all, all of these things are, are probably quite connected in terms of how they all came to be and exist today, huh? Yeah. And so the video, and David encouraged me to do that 
when he moved over to Tools of the Trade as the uh, chief editor, he it, it, the, the um, some of these tool companies were just starting to do these shows besides Stafta and some of the big ones where they were inviting people to come out that were that were press and the, even this was before Instagram, and so he was trying to get into um, video and YouTube, but he just didn't have time as the editor. And we didn't yeah. have good software back then. So I had this little Kodak ZI8 camera that I would set up on this job site back in like 2010. And then I would just put the videos on YouTube. Didn't know how to edit or anything. And, you know, some of these videos had 500,000 views. And I was just like, I don't even know what that means, you know. And I didn't really, I should have invested in it back then yeah. instead of waiting. But at the same time now, it's, it's very easy to edit that stuff. A lot of the software is free and it's pretty intuitive. And, and we're not making Hollywood level yeah uh, on instagram at least you know to yeah. scale up like you guys have there's definitely a whole lot more to it well i i really appreciate when i was watching your youtube videos and a lot of this is style and and whether it was intentional or not but cutting a a piece of the video a little later where you might say like uh never mind i don't know what i'm doing here where should i go something that you might instinctually think i'd actually get cut out but by leaving it in there, it does so many things. It kind of reminds a viewer, this is, hey, this guy, this guy's a, a framer first. He's doing this for fun. It keeps it real. You feel like you know there's so much to that. So my point is there is a real bright silver lining to low production. You know, filming something shaky with a hand, there are perks to that. There's perks of authenticity and simplicity and even just personality. You feel like you kind of understand the person better. So I tell people, don't don't feel like the production it has to be at this level there is no rules about what level you it should be at to be successful or to get people to enjoy it and you know you're you're a good example of that all your content is it's it's got its own style in that way so yeah i i really try not to take myself very seriously because i've known people who have done that and they're just always stressed out and it, that there's no yeah. fun in that and yeah. so for some of those video clips I don't know. It, 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 it's not a job as long as I still have fun. And I feel like yeah. leaving that stuff in, it's not like you're sitting there editing and it's this deadline and you have to, um, yeah. it needs to meet this. I've had a couple of um, manufacturers, um, Simpson strong tie. I've partnered with them the last couple of years. And one of, one of their internal people kind of commented on that, that like maybe that part should be deleted out. And I only heard about this much later. And the other guys were like, no, leave it in. It, it, yeah. it makes it authentic because then people know yeah. none of us know everything and none of us get, get it all right the first time. And yeah. so it kind of like lowers the bar to where now we're all comrades. We're not all just, right. we all look up to that one person. It's like, nope, we're all in this together. We figured this out, you know, after a yeah. lot of trial and error, as you can see totally. from the clips, yeah. it works out better. Well, especially like you mentioned Larry Hahn and like he's, the, he's the trailblazer, both writing and his videos. And so when we started, I was just thinking like, well, it's got to look like Larry Hahn videos because that's what that's how you do it, and that's certainly what we attempted. But nobody, you can, nobody can be a perfect copy of somebody else. Let your own personality and style come through in the way you know your your job sites are lighthearted and fun. It makes perfect sense that the videos would the viewer would get that feeling, and it just helps it come through. So I uh, I think that's great. Um, in my life, my dad is a carpenter and a and a general contractor first and a concrete guy second. And I kind of grew up always just assuming that all framers and builders can do concrete. I now know that's not the case. And then when I was watching your videos, I saw you guys all of a sudden pouring concrete again. So is that actually the case that if you frame in the Northwest, you 
pretty much are also doing concrete or is that something you kind of picked up on the side or can you talk a little about that I a little bit because they lot. don't seem super correlated but they they always seem to go hand in hand why is that I think in our area, um, all the guys that have worked for us, like in the eighties and nineties, they all could do the concrete. And I don't know if they had just brought that skill or if there was somebody here that, that just kind of taught everybody else, but we basically kept the, um, kept the foundations, the framing and the siding in house and the same carpenters did all of those. And then some guys were better at flat work than others. And I think it was a personality thing. I'm not very good at flat work. And it, I know it's a personality thing. I'm not that interested. <laughs> like it's that's hard, and it takes a lot of practice. And I'll never get enough consecutive yeah. um, time to do that. But it does. It did seem like back in the day that these guys could do it all. And I don't know if it was just a convenience thing. You know, a lot of the guys that that worked for us, they had worked in California. Yeah. So I don't know if it came from there, but it's definitely a Northwest thing. the The problem is like for us right now, we can't find concrete guys. They're in such hot demand. And so foundation work, it's it to me, framing and foundation work is very similar because in, even in commercial form carpenters, right? They're part of the carpenters union and these guys are, they're building them just like yeah. they build houses. Yeah. It's, it's and nailed up the lumber and yep. yeah. And so that part, it's, it's funny because I'll, I'll get concrete guys that will message me like they're impressed that we can do it, especially because we're using a different system than maybe they use in the other part of the country but we're still definitely clearly framers doing concrete work because like we'll <laughs> yeah. use eye joist as a strong back to straighten right. out the panels and brace yeah. it. And to us, it makes perfect sense because that's what we'll do for rafters. Yeah. And, and so there's things we do that are a little unconventional that way. Cause we're really framers first concrete guy second. Yeah. That's, that's cool. And another nice thing about concrete is kind of however you want to do it, do what you got to do. It's what matters is once you rip it all and peel it all off, and so if you're peeling it off and it's square plumb true, who's to say, you know, in other words, you got to use the tools you got and the framer, you got to say, you got a wooden eye joist there. Yeah. I got I, I, I loved that when I saw you guys doing that a couple different times and I, it was just kind of like, of course, that's the thing is yeah. stiff. That's the stiffest thing, you know, within like 10 square miles for sure yeah. in, in that axis. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, why not? And it, perfectly straight. And yeah. some of the big structural screws that we can use, they drive in and, and you can take them out and disassemble it so easily that it just seemed to make sense to us. Other people just, they'll, they'll kind of, they'll, they'll demonstrate their skepticism rather forcefully sometimes. And then when they <laughs> see it, final product, they're like, oh, yeah, and it's just like, yeah, just different way to get there. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, well, okay, here's my last question. And this is very much inside baseball, but I have to ask. Um, I was sent some clothes by True Work um, Clothes, and I saw you wearing some of the same pants. And I, I someday I'm sure you'll do like a full review or talk about it more, but um, I've like been kind of torn about it. It's great. I've really loved them. And for the listeners, it's like synthetic. Uh, you almost think like athletic clothing that is designed completely for work and very thoughtfully designed, but it feels like it could have come from like Lululemon or something. Mm -hmm. Anyways, um, it's just been so strange because every time I'm wearing it, I'm like, this is amazing. And yet every time in the morning when I'm getting dressed, it just doesn't, if when I'm wearing it, it just feels like this feels kind of weird. This is not thick cotton, like Carhartts have a feel. And to me, that's like the feeling of work and mud and labor. And so I'm wondering if, if you've had any of that feeling when you've been wearing those. No, I absolutely love. So I, I have a coupon code, but I make no money off of true work. 
they'll, they'll send me stuff and then I'll promptly buy it for personal use. Yeah. They, um, I wear the true work stuff. I'm actually wearing their pants, their transit pants right now, which are basically like long underwear. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but this morning we were walking down on the beach and it was super windy and I was wearing the pants. Um, my wife's got their new, the women's, um, high biz hoodie. It's just to me, I'm all about stretch and comfort. Uh-huh. Yeah. And especially if you have to wear a harness, like you're doing work at heights and you got to put your fall protection harness on oh, and they've designed point. all of this yeah. stuff around that. And, and a lot of it was designed for tree guys who are, who are up there sawing trees, topping trees, and they're in their rigging and it needs to be fully functional, non-binding. Yeah. And I'm finding that the stuff doesn't wear out on top of it. So mm-hmm. it's like win-win. Now I hike in all those clothes. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll go into the mountains to take pictures or something. And, I just find every part of it, it just fits just right. And yeah, your Lululemon reference is right on the money. It's like we're wearing yoga pants at work. That's what it it's feels great. like. And it's almost like, a, I don't feel, it's not shame, but it's just like this, it's like a cognitive dissonance. It's like this, this sometimes we're off here. And part of that comes from my family. My dad, he has a, a, a work clothing that he's worn for decades that worked great for him. That has just, I've kind of absorbed some amount of like, well, if you're working, it needs to be it needs to be something like that. And so it's almost like I felt like I, I hate to admit it, but this is amazing. And this, like you said, the stretch and the um, everything about it. So yeah, anyway, we're, we're planning to talk more about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's a total game changer, isn't it? It really is. Um, I, and, and the other thing too, I took a um, class from Gary Katz years ago at JLC live and Gary was like really hardcore about, you need to present yourself as the professional that you are. And he's primarily talking to Finnish carpenters. And he would tell this story about being at a restaurant and seeing the, the trades guys over there, you know, shooting snot rockets or things. And he's like, this is in front of a restaurant where everybody's observing it. Do we all need yeah. to look like we're homeless when we go to work? And yeah. so he's like, dress up a little bit. And that's what I really like about True Work and some of the other companies, these European companies like Snickers and Mascot Workwear, is you feel like you're putting on what looks more professional and and the true work stuff almost looks like you're coming out of like an outdoor, you know, like REI or a camping. Yeah. Like we're going to go hiking. It looks technical and and it is technical. So it works out. I love that. Yeah. It's amazing. And like I said, I I still am, we're going to, for the listeners, we're going to show this in great detail at some point. Um, We're kind of planning and testing it still, but I'll still be wearing those pants and kind of like find some little nook or cranny that I'm like, wow, that, now I know why they put that there and this reason or made the cut in this way. It is a hundred percent engineered for people working and that's, and that's it. All the other uses are great, but this, these are clothes designed for people who work and it, there's a lot of little, a lot of thought went into it. Engineering. Yeah. Guys. I was talking to Kyle Stumpenhorst from our buildings, you know, massive following on all these platforms. One of the yeah. nicest people I've ever met. Yeah. <laughs> he was telling me when I talked to him at the trade show, He's like, this stuff is the best. He goes, now my wife is like, can you just wear jeans sometimes? Like, I just, I'd <laughs> yeah. like to see you in jeans. And I totally get what she's saying because I just put this stuff on. It's so comfortable. But, yeah. you know, if you're going out with the wife, maybe, maybe don't wear your work clothes. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, it's uniforms, a funny thing because, uh, do you think about, I mean, uniforms are a, such a part of most jobs, you know, whether you're in a hospital or firefighters and police officers and, uh, it's so common and in construction it's it's a lot looser you know certain ones might have like an outfit but but i love your your point you know kind of 
thinking of it that way. And you know, actually, I should I should credit my dad because he he flashed on this years ago when he kind of, I think when he started his own business and realized I need to put myself at, forward as a professional. And so he started wearing, you know, collared shirts and kind of, I think he even decided like, I'm not going to wear a hat. I'm going to da da da. And these suspenders work well for these reasons. And it, anyways, um, there's something to that. And the instinct what I certainly have is, you know, throw on yesterday's muddy clothes because they're going to get muddy again. Therefore, that seems like the right choice. I don't know. Maybe rethink that if there's someone who's, you know, you may, may impress is even the wrong word. You may not even be trying to impress somebody, but I don't know. It's kind of like pride and workmanship almost yeah. related to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because as hard as we try to keep the van clean, I'll, sometimes I'll feel like it's disorganized and then I'll have people comment to me. They're like, that looks organized. And, and I think that when the job site's organized, your work van's organized, you make yourself presentable. You look more professional. And we found yeah. too, we, you know, no swearing on our job sites. We like to listen to music and sometimes we like to listen to it loud, but nothing foul. A lot of times yeah. it's 80s throwbacks and people, we've had inspectors comment on it. Um, we had one job that we did for another builder years ago. And this piece of property, the owner lived on site, was having another um, house built. And then her, her, her dad lived next door. And she had MS and they commented to us how, how safe that she felt and they felt knowing that we were on site when she was home. Wow. And I, I, to me, that's the biggest compliment we, that I think we've ever gotten is that because yeah. of the way that we acted, looked and, and comported ourselves, then everyone else knew it was a safe environment. And so it's like, wow. how is that not a win-win for everybody? So it uh, goes to the close, the whole thing, it all contributes. That's amazing. All right. Well, um, tell we've, we've talked about your Instagram and your YouTube, but why don't you kind of tell everybody all the places they can find you and where your, where your work and your uh, content is at the moment? Pretty much just Awesome Framers on Instagram and YouTube. I have a TikTok account, but that's mostly as like a placeholder. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that account. And then um, our company website is pioneerbuildersonline.com. Uh, you can just search for me on JLC or, or Fine Home Building and find the articles. Well, we'll put links to all these in the description and we will have to someday somehow find a way to link up. If you're ever driving down I-5, it'd be fun to come up with some sort of collaboration. And We vacation in Bend every summer, so it's not oh. too far south for us to head to you guys. Hey, well, we'll have to see what we can do. That'd be fun to put something together like that. We we were just talking in a live stream about how in these social media platforms, collaborations are really important, but in the building space, it's kind of hard because you can't quite like pass a framing job, like I'll frame the roof and you frame the, do the sheeting. <laughs> so we got to be a little creative, but somewhere, somehow, I'm sure we'll cross paths and find a way. And can't thank you enough for taking the time. Enjoy your weekend at the coast. And is, do you have any parting words for the listeners here or anything uh, to sign off with? No, just stay safe. Try not to take things too seriously. Just have fun. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Tim. We'll talk to you later. Thank you.